just eat and eat and eat. And f- the last thing I ate, like I ate turkey and dressing and pies and sweet potato casserole. That, that always gets me because I always hit that over and over again. I love sweet potato casserole. But then, man, somehow or another, I found my way into some pimento cheese spread with, like, extra onions in it, which I don't know what I was. Anyway, it was good. It was good, but it beat me up. You know what I'm saying? So by 9 o'clock, I was on the couch, ready for bed, with, with Pepto-Bismo in my hand, just chugging it, literally. And, and so she's like, aren't you going to come in here and sit? And I was like, no. I was like, no, I need to lay down. <laughs> so... Amen. So you are the only moderate person in here. We applaud you. We're not jealous of you. We're not envious of you, but we applaud you. Amen. Well, let's turn to Romans chapter 5, y'all. Of Gary's <laughs> You better be careful. She'll hear you on here, bro. She knows where you live. <laughs> yeah, gravy's the one thing that doesn't heat up well. You know, it. I mean, I'll still heat it up and eat it, but... I like I like leftovers too, man. Praise God. Anyway, Romans chapter five, and um, you know we we uh, we talk about this verse quite a bit in here, and um, but I want to actually I want to take a look at a little bit of a different aspect of um, the definition of grace in just this verse. But Romans chapter five, verse seventeen, it says, <clears throat> "For if by one, can you turn me down just a touch, please? For by one man's offense death reigned through the one." Much more, those who receive, everybody say receive. How <clears throat> I many of you have come here today to receive, right? That's, that's, that's the nature of our relationship with God. Uh, you're not trying to earn something from God. You're not trying to deserve something from God. You are here to receive. How I many you know it's free, too? Can I get an amen? amen. I mean, you don't buy this. You don't buy anything from God. It's for free. And, um, but He wants you to, to be a good Receiver. How I many you know Christmas is coming up and, and we all get to enjoy uh, accentuated giving, right? We get to give and be a blessing to people. But how I many you know you can't give beyond what you've already received, right? And so receiving is really important in your relationship with God. <clears throat> God wants to load you down and bring you into a place of overflow so that He can flow out of your life. And so it says, those who receive an abundance of grace... And the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Now that word reign, in the Greek is the word basilio, and it means to reign as a king. Now how many know, if you'll notice, how many know life is a challenge? You know, <clears throat> I was, um, my gym has been vandalized repeatedly here recently. And um, uh, they, it's like an all, it's like an anytime gym. And so people can go really late at night and they can, you know, they, there's kind of, there's nobody there so they can kind of do what they want. And, um, but they have cameras in there, so, you know, they're going to catch somebody, <clears throat> but I, one of the things I was saying to my wife, I was like, if you'll notice, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody here, but vandalism happens more through young people than it does older people. Like, when I was a young man, I did a lot of vandalism, praise God, before Jesus. I did. I did tons of it. I could give you stories all day long. <clears throat> they eventually kicked me off Eastern's campus. I'd done enough vandalism. And so I'm not encouraging vandalism, but when I'm, the reason I said that is I think the reason it happens through young people is once you get older, you realize life's so hard that you don't need any help making it any harder. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you understand life's already difficult enough as it is, and so, like, you know, um, you don't need any help with that. So vandalism is more of a young person's sport, but... Um, Life's a challenge, but it says here that we can reign in life, right? And so that word reign uh, means to reign as a king. And so God's intention, God knows this is a fallen world. God knows this is a challenging world. God knows that there's persecution and tribulation. There's challenges. There's things that are going to happen. You don't know why they happen. You don't understand why they happen. You're going to go through stuff. How many of that happens for the believer and the non-believer? How many of that happens for, to good people and bad people? Right? If you'll allow those terms. I don't really agree with those terms. But so life is a challenge, but <clears throat> God has a way where we can overcome. Can I get an amen? How I many of you know there's a path of overcoming? And um, and there's all different types of overcoming. How I many know we want to overcome, you know, concerning the health of our bodies? How I many know we want to have healthy, strong bodies? Can I get an amen? How I many know we want to overcome financially? We want to we want to live in abundance, we want to be a blessing to people. Can I get an amen? Amen's always weaker on that one, but it's still true. It's it's the truth. And how many know that we want to know that we have protection in this crazy world that we live in, right? Yes. 
But then also, how I many you know we also want to overcome like in our marriages and in our relationships and with our children and stuff like that? How I many know the quality of your life has a lot to do with your relationships? And how I many know God has a path of overcoming in your relationships as well? How I many know sometimes it's not saying anything? Oh, see, that was that was that was that was punctuated and accentuated, right? I hear you, Lord. I hear you. God said, that is the word for you. That's why your mic dropped off. <laughs> like, if you got to slice your wife's gravy, you probably shouldn't talk about it with the public. No, just, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <clears throat> but there's a path to overcome. And, and the key here, you don't have to be strong. You don't have to be mighty. You don't have to be great. You just have to be willing to receive. Can I get an amen? So that means that we're all in this place of equality. I mean, there's nobody in this room any better than anybody else, right? And we, we all have the right to receive because we're receiving through Jesus, right? It says, They which receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Now, we know that gift of righteousness means that, you know, 2,000 years ago, he that knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. How I many of you know Jesus took all your sin and then he gave you all of his righteousness, right? That's the core of the gospel, right? If you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're the righteousness of God. I've been preaching at the shelter again here in Georgetown here lately, and uh, all I've been preaching is the gospel. And uh, it has been really good, uh, not only for them, but also for me too. <clears throat> just preaching it again, preaching it to people that may not understand it. I mean, there's so much power when you just look at Jesus and what he's done, right? So much power in it. Never lose the power of the gospel. And so <clears throat> you're right with God if you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's not something you deserve. It's not something you earn. So that's the gift that we want to receive continuously, just the awareness of that. But then also, we want to receive an abundance of grace. I mean, no, we want to live in grace. And I want that from a practical sense. I don't want that from just a theological sense. I don't want that from a, uh, you know, uh, answering the correct question on the test sense. I want to live in grace, you know, as a father, um, as a husband, as a brother, as a friend, as a pastor, as a driver out in... Yeah, man, I was on my way to, to minister at the shelter Monday before last, and someone made me madder in traffic than I've been in years. Like, years. And I kind of stepped out of grace <laughs> for just a moment and, uh, and, and, and daydreamed about beating somebody up that I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest with you. Praise God, this brother. He stretched me like a rubber band. Like, I thought about following him to where he was going. Like, he was crying. Like, wait a minute. Hold on. I'm, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I'm a minister. I can't do that. Like, you know. Oh, it was just a moment of thought. Anybody have crazy thoughts? Yeah. Amen. We all have those moments, right? Connie's perfect. I forgot. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me, your halo has a smudge on it. Okay. No, no, I'm, I'm intimidated. <laughs> what were you going to say? <laughs> yeah, thou art holy. Um, anyway, praise God. Paul ain't saying nothing. He just, <laughs> Paul's a wise man. This is a moment when you don't speak. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I'm having a good time. Anyway, and so we want to live in grace, right? And so the definition, the, the primary definition of grace is it's unmerited favor, right? We talk about that a lot. How many you know it's not something that you can earn? It's a gift, right? And we've just talked about that a lot. You can never lose sight of that because the moment you start putting yourself in position to try to earn God's blessings is the moment that you're, you're not going to get them, right? You never want to do that. If you start trying to earn things from God... You, you frustrate two things. You frustrate grace, and then you also frustrate faith. Because now, how many of you know there's no faith where legalism is present? How many of you know the law avoids faith? When you're trying to earn something from God, it's not a gift. It's a wage. <clears throat> and if you're trying to earn something from God, uh, then you're going to be very frustrated. And so we don't want to earn anything from God. How many of you know Jesus earned it for us? How many of you know Jesus did a good job on the cross? And now it's been given to you as a gift. Your part is just belief. Just believe, sit down and eat, right? So grace is unmerited favor. It's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Under the old covenant, we earned things from God. Under the new covenant, Jesus earned it for us and has given it to us as a gift, right? But then there's a, there's a second aspect to the definition of grace. Grace is a very rich word, and there's more to it. And I want to really focus on the second aspect of grace here for just a moment. But it also says that grace, of course, is unmerited favor, but it's also the divine influence upon the heart 
and its reflection in the life. Divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Now, the thing that grace focuses on is your heart. How many know if God can change your heart and He can woo your heart, how many know He can change everything on the outside? Right? See, legalism always focuses on the outside. Legalism is always behavior, 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 behavior. You need to change, you need to change, you need to change, you need to see something different. It's always focused on the outside. How many of you know you can change on the outside, but your heart not be changed? Any of everyone had an unwilling yet obedient child? Then we have moments in our life when we can make Eli do something, right? And he will do it, but he ain't having no fun, and we ain't having no fun. You follow me? But if we can, and, and there are times for that as a parent, but how I many you know if you can get a child's heart into obedience and they're doing it from their heart, how I many you know there's power in that? Because they're living out of a place of want to. Grace creates an environment where your want to can bloom and flourish and blossom. Under the new covenant, as you incubate in the grace of God, there will be a want to to do what's right. There will be a want to to, deserve, to serve God. There will be a want to um, that will arise out of your heart. Now, I'm not saying your flesh is going to want to do stuff. How about your flesh is not going to want to do stuff? The carnal mind does not, right? That's that battle. But when you're under grace, there's a want to. But when you're under legalism, there's not a want to. In fact, everything you do, you do out of a place of obligation. And you do out of a place of showmanship. Legalism is, look at me, I'm an awesome Christian person. Just see how amazing I am, right? And how many know that's actually not love? How many know I'm not called to draw attention to me? I'm called to draw attention to Jesus. Can I get an amen? How many of us Christians, we're called to draw attention to Jesus, right? And, and in legalism, there, there's a sense of performance. How many of the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted to be out in the marketplace with the longest robes, blowing their trumpets, making sure everybody knew that they were praying? How many of they wasn't? How many of they they really didn't have a relationship with God? They had a relationship with the admiration of the people. They wanted people to think that they were awesome, and what was happening was their their self righteousness was being scratched on every religious activity they did, but their heart was far from God because they didn't have a relationship with God. They had a show for the people. Y'all tracking me here? We don't want a show for the people. Can I get an amen? How many know I, I should be the same person behind this pulpit as I am sitting on my couch? I should be, we should be the same person sitting in church as we are when we're at our house. Can I get an amen? We've had far too much hypocrisy between how nice we are at church and the way we are at home that it's caused a lot of young people to have a bad taste towards God. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to be perfect. Can I get an amen? How many know there are no perfect people and we all make mistakes? Amen. I mean, I was just talking about beating somebody up in traffic. I was just thinking about it, just thinking about it. <clears throat> Never do it. But we all make mistakes. But my, my point is, is that legalism focuses on the outside. Grace is the divine influence upon the heart. How many know what we want is a heart change? If there's a heart change, there will be a life change. And it will come from the heart. A great example of this would be Zacchaeus. <clears throat> we talk about this a lot. <clears throat> but how many know that Jesus never corrected Zacchaeus for stealing from the people? He never corrected uh, Zacchaeus for betraying his people. He never corrected Zacchaeus at all. In fact, you know what Jesus did? He honored Zacchaeus with his presence at a dinner in his home. He blessed him. He honored him. There was such a throng of people, everybody wanted to see Jesus. Zacchaeus, a very, very rich man, had to climb up in a tree to see Jesus. How I many you know everybody wanted to be around Jesus? But, but Jesus chose one of the worst sinners to be around. He said, I'm coming to your house today. And he said it publicly because Jesus did not care what anybody thought. Can I get an amen? We need a little more of that in Christianity. Jesus didn't care what anybody thought. He was like, I don't care. How I many of Jesus said, as long as I'm pleasing my father, how I many you know wisdom is justified of her children? Amen. We need a whole lot more of that in Christianity, right? Um, and so he goes 
To Zacchaeus' house, he has dinner with him. He's good to him. He honors him. He blesses him. I mean, Jesus carried an atmosphere of grace wherever he was at. There was a freedom in his presence. There was a love in his presence, right? And then all of a sudden, Zacchaeus jumps up. What happened? Grace penetrated his heart and changed him without anybody telling him or correcting him. He jumps up and says, I give back seven times to everyone that I stole from, and I give half my goods to the poor. What happened? His heart was transformed. Can you get an amen? His heart was transformed. I mean, it's the goodness of God that leads you to change. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, right? And so grace has the ability to touch your heart. And at the end of the day, that's what I want is somebody's heart. I care about what I care more about what's on the inside of them than what's going on the outside of them. Can you get an amen? I mean, with your children, what you want is their heart. You don't want perfect behavior. You want their heart. You want them to trust you with their weakness. You want them to open their doors to you and be like, I'm struggling with this. Can I get an amen? And, and in an atmosphere of grace, people's hearts are easily accessible. And then when grace starts to hit somebody's heart, how I many of it says it's the divine influence upon the heart? How I many of the new covenant changes you from the inside out? Right? Old covenant was from the outside in. Right? It's a difference. So this portion of grace, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. How many of you know Jesus showed Zacchaeus grace and it changed him? How many of you know Jesus showed Mary Magdalene grace and it changed her? How many of you know Jesus showed Peter grace and it changed him? John grace and it changed him. How many of you know everyone who encountered Jesus' grace was changed? Except the people that didn't think they needed it. The self-righteous Pharisees and Sadducees. How many know they were not changed? Why? Because that's the one thing that frustrates grace is pride. The only deliverance from pride is a fall. That's your diploma. Failure. <laughs> once, you fa- once you've failed enough, then you'll make a decision to choose God's grace. But as long as you're still in your own strength or running around the mountain, God will let you run around the mountain until you're done. How many know that's a one-time event in a, in a big sense? But how many know it's an over and over event as well? When we think we got it, and then we go do it in our own strength, right? And, and, and that's the beauty of failure. Failure is not bad, guys. Failure gives you fresh humility. Fresh humility is the cup you drink grace out of. Can I get an Amen. I mean, none of us enjoy it, but I'm telling you right now, it's a beautiful thing when it happens, right? And so uh, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 8 real quick, and I want to take a look here at this new covenant, afresh and anew, talking about what we want to talk about, and the the title of this message is Living from I Want To, Not I Have To. Living from I Want To, Not I Have To. When you are in grace and you're operating in grace, there's a want to that will come out of your heart. Y'all ever been, and I'm not saying there aren't times when you got to make yourself do something. I'm not saying there aren't times when you got to, you know, put down your flesh and, you know, and I'm not saying there aren't times like that. There's going to be times like that. But ultimately, when you're under grace, you're going to be living out of your heart and there's going to be a desire. There's going to be a want to. And you'll be like, well, Jeremiah, I don't have a desire. I don't have a want to. Well, maybe, maybe condemnation slipped in. Maybe legalism slipped in and you weren't aware of it. Yeah, Jeremiah, but you know, I've been going to a grace church for 10 years, and I've been this, and I've been that, and I've been that. I, your credentials mean nothing. You know, uh, Martin Luther said, I preach this every day so I don't forget it. Condemnation can sneak into anybody's life at any time. You are in no way guaranteed living in a state of grace. Now, you're guaranteed to have it available to you. But the enemy is always trying to throw that monkey wrench of legalism of condemnation back in your life to pull you out of grace. Because see, when you're in grace, you're winning. You're reigning in life. When you're not, you're getting your butt kicked. I mean, it's just how it is. I mean, it's just bottom line. The devil wants nothing to do with you when you're in grace. So he's, why? Because you're living in a state of Jesus' victory. So he's always trying to pull you out of that high realm of grace and bring you back into a low realm of legalism. Because in legalism, you're going to lose. Your faith's going to be voided. Why? Because it's going to stop being about Jesus and it's going to start being about you. 
When it's about you, you're going to lose. And when it's about you and you're messing up, here comes condemnation, right? But when it's about you and you're doing great things, here comes pride. We don't want it to be about us <laughs> at all. How many know you don't want your eyes on you? How many know you're not changed by looking at you? You're just not. You can't change you. <clears throat> How many know Christianity is not a self-help class? Right? I mean, we're not looking to change ourselves. I'm looking to, to look at Jesus and be changed. As I behold Him, changed from glory to glory. Can you get an amen? How many know His form of transformation is, better, is greater than our form of self-help? Right? How I many you know man's willpower can only provide deliverance for as long as you can hold on to the rope? We don't want our strength. You know, a car operate. you know, if you ever see a car and the alternator goes out in the car, how I many you know a car is not going to run long on the strength of a battery? couple blocks, man. That's all you got. And the battery is there to start the alternator. And then it continues to produce power right? Your willpower is there to choose Jesus, to choose His grace. And then you want to run on the power of God, not your own strength. Can I get an amen? If you're trying to run Christianity in your own willpower, you're going to be wore out. You'll be wore out. <clears throat> and a lot of times what happens is people just quit and they just walk away from God. And the reason they couldn't walk away from God, they think, well, I'm just not like other people. I'm just not good like other people. I'm just not, I don't have it together. It's just, you know, all this stuff. And what's happening is they're, they're actually operating in their own strength. They're trying to run their vehicle on the strength of a battery. I mean, you know, that's destined for failure, right? We don't want our strength. We want the Lord's strength. The Bible says that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That word for renew in the Hebrew is the word change. I mean, you know, God wants to change your strength so that you're not weary. <clears throat> and when you are living in a state of constant obligation, you're going to get weary. Amen. How I many you know, <clears throat> excuse me, when I'm doing something because I want to and there's a joy in it, how I many you know there's a grace there and I can enjoy it? If you look at the word for grace, the root of that word is the word for joy. When I'm operating in grace, there's a sense of joy and calm delight that's happening in my life. Me, one of the clearest examples I can give you for me understanding law and grace <clears throat> is there are times when I feel obligated to play with my kids. Like, I need to play with my kids because i be a good dad, right? Got to play with my kids. Well, when I'm obligated to play with them and I'm operating out of an obligated heart, how many know my heart's not really in it? And I'm just putting in my time. And it's more like work. But when I want to do it, and I'm having fun, and there's a desire there, and there's a joy there, there's a grace there. How I many you know they're being blessed and I'm being blessed because there's life there? Y'all track them here. There's life there. How I many of the same can be in any relationship? How I many know if you feel obligated in this relationship, then you're not, there's not going to be a joy that's there. There's not going to be the want to, right? <clears throat> Amen. I mean, and, and, and the reality is we can take any activity and for the most part, and we can do it in a state of want to, or we can do it in a state of have to. And I'm not telling you that there aren't times when you just push through with discipline and you do the right thing because you know it's the right thing, but you shouldn't live there. Seriously. Let me give you a beautiful example of this that I think children get a hold of. You ever notice children will play and have so much joy and energy and strength? And a lot of times what they're doing is they're emulating work. But their attitude's different. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Well, here recently we cut down a Christmas tree, right? That's something we do with our family every year. Well, Eli's all about cutting the daggone Christmas tree down. Like, he got his little power chainsaw out, man. He's, I mean, he's going to cut this thing down. He's all about it, right? Well, he's emulating work. Right? Most of children's play is work with a different attitude. Yet they, but because they want to do it, they're enjoying themselves. Amen. A lot of what we call exercise, kids do in play. And they're enjoying what they're doing because their heart's in it. 
And so a, a, a lot of times I think that if we just change the way we look at it and get over into the place of grace and a place of want to, we could actually enjoy and draw strength from our daily lives rather than living in this state of grudging obligation. Y'all tracking me here? I'm telling I mean, it's it's like a, it's the narrow path, but it's a real thing. It, it, it is this, there's a, there's a, how I many you know there's a grace to clean the house? I got no amens on that. <laughs> None. None. Not one amen. Everybody's like, no, clean the house stinks. What are you talking about? You can clean your house in grace. You can mow your yard in grace. You can spend time with your kids in grace. You can cook a meal in grace. You can. I mean, you can. I done lost y'all on that. Everybody's like, man, this guy, he's crazy. He thinks it. Yeah, they're like, turn him off. <laughs> what is he talking about? Well, let's dive deeper into the scriptures, right? Hebrews chapter 8, and we take a look here at this new covenant that we have. In verse 7, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in. Everybody say in. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So under the new covenant, you know, we... we we are commanded to believe and to love under the new covenant, right? And the law of faith and the law of love and then ultimately the law of liberty as well. Now, those are our commandments, right? Now, when I believe in Jesus and I believe that the cross was a success and I believe that I'm forgiven, I will now begin to understand and receive and believe in the love of God and then the love of God will come to me, and then the love of God will flow through me. How I many know ultimately that's what God's called you to do? How I many know it's to walk in love, to love God and to love people, right? I and mean, that's the fullness of the law. But you're only going to do that as a result of doing the first thing, which is believing. How I many know when you believe in how much God loves you first, how I many know it's going to empower you to love other people? Can I get an amen? I mean, you can only give what you have first received, right? And so God's going to get His love to us and get His love through us. And in the new covenant, He, he says, I'm going to write my laws in, 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 and upon. So this new covenant is dealing with the inside, right? How I many of you the Spirit of God will lead you under the new covenant? What are you talking about, Jeremiah? How many of the Spirit of God will lead you to call somebody and to reach out to somebody? You may ever had a time when you just start thinking about somebody and feel like you need to reach out to them? You know what that is? That's God. That's God writing His laws in your mind and on your heart. He's given you a desire. He's given you a want to. Right? You ever had a desire to just to bless somebody and just take care of somebody? Right? There's just a desire that was there. That's God under the new covenant. He's leading you into something. Right? You ever just had a desire to, you know, to, 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 to speak life into somebody or, or, or tell one of your children that you love them? Or, 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 you know, a couple weeks ago I was talking about where I came up and hugged that lady in the gas station. You know, God, I felt led to do that. I mean, you know, God is going to put, his, put the want to inside of you. There's going to be a desire there. Now, under grace, under legalism, you're always going to feel like you have to. Well... I got to hug so-and-so. Well, I got to give to the church. Well, I got to call so Well, I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to. How many know if your heart is not in what you're doing, there's no life there? If you're living out of I got to, you're not going, you're not operating and functioning in a state of grace. How many know it's easier when you want to? Nobody had to tell Mary Magdalene to worship Jesus. Nobody had to tell her to. Nobody taught her, go to Jesus, cry, wash His feet with your tears, dry His feet with your hair, and then give a year's wage to Jesus. Nobody told her to do that as in a human being. How I many of you know there's no place in the Psalms where David worshiped God like that? 
Not one time. What happened? She was experiencing the love and grace of Jesus, and she had a desire to worship Jesus in a radical way that was even potentially offensive to the people that were around her. How many of you know there were Pharisees and Sadducees that were there judging her while she did that? But how many of you know she didn't care? How many of you know, and once again, once you op, when you start to operate in grace, you get set free from what other people think. Gosh, it's wonderful. It's fantastic to not care what people think. Gosh. And I'm not saying I've arrived completely in that area, but I'm a whole lot freer than I used to be. Amen. How many know when you know God loves you, you don't need someone's opinion to make you feel good about yourself? Can you get an amen? Because you're not guaranteed an opinion from people. How many of people's opinions of you are up and down? How many of you need something more solid than people's opinions? I need a foundation that can't be shaken by my own stupidity. You know what I'm saying? I found one. It's Jesus Christ. It's the cornerstone. God's for me on my good days. God's for me on my bad days. God loves me. How many of God loves you? Oh, yes, he does. He loves you more than anybody's ever loved you before. And he's forgiven you. How many of you that, that this is not a cheap grace? How many of this is expensive grace? How many of this cost heaven everything to provide this extravagant, beautiful invitation into the goodness of God, right? But it's true. But how many know a lot of people are challenged to believe that God's this good? Because we've been taught legalism for so long. I used to be one of those people. But when you encounter a love like that, it does something to your heart, and you start to live out of a place of want to. You start to live out of a place of desire. I mean, you know, if you're constantly doing things out of obligation, you're going to wear thin. How I many know oh, you can't always make yourself do the right thing? Right? How I many oh, you can't oh, you can't make somebody else always do the right thing? How I many oh, that'll wear you out in and of itself? Trying to make other people do the right thing? Oh man! But there's there's a there's a better place in this new covenant where God will write His laws in your mind and on your heart. God's going to give you a want to. You're going to start to. It's such a beautiful thing to live out of your heart. So freeing to live from the inside out. When you live from the inside out, how I many know you don't have to pretend like anything to anybody at any time? How I many know you get to just be yourself all the time? So free, so free. See, legalism never taught me how to be myself, it taught me how to pretend like I was something so that I could impress other people. How I many know that's a heavy armor to bear? That's a heavy mask to wear. And it's a hard life, and it, and it really, it literally kills people. But what the, what the grace of God comes to do is to set you free and say, look, sweetheart, you don't need a mask. You don't need to perform for anyone. Receive my love right where you're at, and, and then what happens is you, you start to feel comfortable in your own skin. Can I get an amen? You start to, to feel comfortable in being yourself at all times. Why? Because you're living out of your heart. And here's the thing. The more you live out of your heart, the harder it gets to sin. It really does. It gets difficult to sin. Why? Because if I know, you know, just like I used to be a drug addict, alcoholic, atheist, crazy person, right? But the more, when I got saved, how I many I became a child of God, right? But like, I still thought like a drug addict. I still thought like a crazy person, right? But the more that I got in the Scriptures and my mind got renewed to the fact that I was a child of God, how I many know as a child of God, drugs start to become less and less and less attractive? How I many you know immorality becomes less and less attractive? Why? Because I'm used to being a son of God. When I'm a son of God and sin comes, how I many you know sin is not, it's not, it's not my place, it's not where I live. Can you get an amen? I mean, sin is something alien to my nature now, right? And so the more I start to operate out of my heart in order to step into temptation and sin, I have to lay down the genuineness of who I am and take on a lie and believe a lie about myself to step into temptation and sin. How I many as a child of God, you're not called to sin, right? I mean, you're called to be set free from sin. You're called to be set free from the dominion of sin. Well, the more the grace of God reveals to you who you are, it gets harder and harder to act like somebody you're not. How many know when the prodigal son 
went to the pig pen and was doing all the crazy stuff, how I many you know he forgot who he was? He just forgot who he was. But then when he came home, his dad didn't, you know, get on to him about his behavior and correct him, correct him, correct him, and condemn him. His dad was like, look, you've forgotten who you are. Bring the best robe, bring the shoes, bring the ring, throw a party. My son, not my servant, my son needs to be reminded of who he is and reminded who I am. How many know when God's good to you and you don't deserve it, you get reminded who God is? And it changes your heart in a way that nothing else can. And, and the more you get comfortable operating in who you are, the harder and harder it gets to operate as somebody that you're not. Are you all tracking me here? This is how grace sets people free from the dominion of sin because you get comfortable being who, you, who God has created you to be and you start to live out of your heart. Amen? And then he goes on to say, And none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Once again, how many of this comes back to personal relationship? How many were all called to know the Lord? Personally. All shall, none shall teach his name, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. No, he said, all shall know me. How many know when you come in here, you bring your relationship with God with you when you come? Your personal relationship with God is more important than a church service. It really is. See, you, you come to church to receive from the body, to be edified at the, from the body, to, to receive you know, edification, to, to be able to, to, to feed on the bread of life, to help each other, to love each other, to receive and to give and to be a blessing. But at the end of the day, the purpose of the church is to teach you how to have your own relationship with God apart from anybody else. How many of you know that's from the inside out? So he's saying, in this new covenant, I'm going to write my laws in your mind, on your heart, and you're going to know me. Now, all of it hangs upon the last verse and your ability to believe in this last part. The entire covenant does. And we're, this is not, but I'm going to just share it real quickly. He says, because I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Amen. How many of the scriptures are true? How many know that Jesus on the cross took care of your sin? Can I get an amen? And not only did he take care of your sin, he says, your sins and laws deeds, he said, I will remember no more. So when God's looking at you, he's not looking at you as a sinner. He's not looking at you in your sin. How many know God is looking at you as a child of God in Christ? Can I get an amen? Now, you must believe that in order to enjoy the fullness of the new covenant. How many of you know that's the opposite of legalism? Legalism is always remember your sin, remember your sin, remember your sin, remember your sin. You're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Let's talk about sin all day long, right? That's old covenant, man. That's a mixture of law and grace. That's not how people's lives are changed. If I tell you not to do something, it's the exact thing that you're going to want to do. Don't think of an orange cat. Nobody was thinking of a cat until I told you not to. That's how legalism works. It strengthens rebellion. But if I say, <laughs> think about gravy, frozen and sliced. <laughs> Put it in your mouth. It tastes nice, right? Now, how many know, as I talked about frozen sliced gravy, you did not think about an orange cat? Because I put your attention somewhere else. The purpose of the new covenant is not to point you to sin or to... <clears throat> the purpose of the new covenant is to point you to Jesus. How many know, as I talk about Jesus... You lose, you lose a taste and a desire for sin. Your eyes aren't on sin. You're not thinking about sin. You're thinking about how awesome Jesus is. Can I get an amen? amen. That's how it works. We change our attention and our focus. Now, I'm not saying there's not time for correction. And I'm not saying right's not right and wrong's not wrong. I mean, it's laid out in the Scriptures. The Scriptures will correct you. Can I get an amen? amen. And, the, and God will correct you. But ultimately, you're going to get where you're going by putting your eyes on Jesus, not on yourself. How I many you know, like right now we're teaching Ethan how to drive and he's doing a great job, but like I'm not going to teach him how, if I, what if I taught him how to drive like this? Ethan, there's the ditch. You see that ditch? Stay out of the ditch. That's the only thing I told him. Just stay out of the ditch. See, that's a big ditch, man. That's a huge ditch. That's a big ditch. Stay out of the ditch. How I many you know, he's not going to be able to move forward if he's always looking at the cliff. How I many you know if all I talk about is the ditch? How I many you guys didn't drive here this morning by staring at the ditch? 
But how many know if you took your focus and looked forward, you'd stay out of the ditch just by looking forward? If all we do in church is talk about sin, everybody's going to sin <laughs> because that's the focus. But if we talk about Jesus and we talk about what He's done and who He's created you to be, then what ends up happening is, is God starts to write His laws in your mind and on your heart, and you start to know Him, and God's not going to lead you into temptation. God's not going to lead you into sin. I mean, well, God's going to lead you to love, right? But the key point is believing that you're forgiven, right? And believing that your sins and lawless deeds He remembers no more. This is what grace does to you, and this is how it captures your heart and sets you free. I'm serving God today because I'm thankful. I'm not serving God because I have to. I'm not serving God because in order for me to serve God, uh, He's going to love me more. I'm serving God because I'm so thankful for what I've been set free from. How many of you know when you're in a state of gratitude, you're enjoying what you're doing more than when you're trying to do something in order to, to earn something or to deserve something? Amen? Um, let's turn to Romans chapter 7, please. So God wants to give you a want to, desire arising out of your heart. When you're living in a state of grace, there's a want to, there's a desire. There's the ability to be spirit-led. And once again, I'm not saying you're not going to have times and you've got to make yourself do stuff. I'm not saying there are not going to be times when your flesh tries to rise up. <clears throat> there are times when you're going to have to discipline your body. But as a whole... We should be living out of a place of I want to, not I have to or I feel obligated to, right? Romans chapter 7 and verse 4, it says, But now we've been delivered from the law. Everybody say delivered. delivered. We've been delivered from the law, having died to, to what we were held by, so that we should serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now, how many of Scripture says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life? We've been delivered from living a life of always feeling like we don't measure up and from always feeling like we have to and always feeling obligated. We've been delivered from the law. Why? Because the law does not have the ability to bring forth genuine fruit from your heart. It has you, just like, for example, let's say I take my three-year-old. I can make him do what's right. And there are times for that. But how many know if I can get his heart into a place where he wants to do what's right, how many know that his activity from his heart is going to be more powerful than just him being made to do what's right? The Bible says if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the, the fruit of the land. How many know under the law you can be obedient, but most of the time you're not willing? Most of the time you don't want to do it. You're just doing it because you feel condemned. Or you're trying to compete with somebody else and be more righteous than them. But there's a, there's a willingness and there's an obedience that comes from being under grace. It says, but now we've been delivered from the law, having died to where we were held by, so that we should serve in newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Under legal, and legalism reminds me, of this one of the, it's headlock Christianity. For example, what if Ethan didn't want to come to church today, and y'all saw me bring him in here in a headlock? <laughs> I'm dragging him in here in a headlock, right? How many know that God's not looking to put you in a headlock and make you do what's right? How many know God's looking to show you how good He is and how much He loves you and how He has a good life for you to where He doesn't have to put you in a headlock? He just, how many know Jesus' yoke is an easy, light yoke? Can you get an amen? How many know legalism is not an easy light yoke? Peter said, we couldn't do it, and our forefathers couldn't do it. Nobody can do it. You know why? It was designed that way. It wasn't designed so you could do it. It was designed so you'd fail. And then it would be a schoolmaster to take you by the hand and lead you to Jesus. How many know Christianity isn't a life you're supposed to lead in your own strength? How many know Jesus wants to live his life through you? Can I, can I get an amen? That's where, where grace is at. It's where Jesus is in the driver's seat of your heart. And He's given you life. And He's given you a want to. And He's given you a desire. And if you've ever had a period of, of, of your life where your desire is gone, 
and your want to is gone. How many, many times we could call that depression or oppression? I mean, that's a hard place to be. I've been there many times. What do you need? You need to be incubated in the grace and love of God so that the want to will start to flower back into your, back into your life again. Because God's not concerned about all the things that you do. God's concerned about you. He loves you. He wants your heart. Can I get an amen? We need a reviving of the want to. Right? It happens under the grace and love of God. It doesn't happen any other way. But legalism is like headlock Christianity. We're not, God's not looking to put you in a headlock. Jesus is, is looking to come. I mean, think about the way people serve the Lord. How I many know, oh, even when you, you might watch The Chosen, oh my gosh, it's so good. If you haven't seen The Chosen, you can just go home and watch it. It's a word from the Lord. Go watch The Daggone Chosen, man. I, and I say that because it took me years to watch it. Because I'm hesitant to watch Christian entertainment because it's usually so bad. To be honest with you, I'm just like, gosh, we're so bad. <laughs> so I try not to watch it. But The Chosen has done so well. And it's, it's fantastic. It's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. But if you look at Jesus, Jesus didn't make anybody follow Him. He didn't have to. He was full of grace and truth. He was the most... Everybody wanted to be around Him. There was something, something so beautiful about Jesus. Jesus would just speak one word to somebody and they'd leave everything and follow Him. Why? Because grace is that beautiful. Jesus is that beautiful. I mean, people will just immediately leave everything to follow Him. And how I many you know, as a whole in Christianity, people don't respond to Christianity like that. We got to go out into the. We got to go out and make people come to church and make. Well, you know, we got to guilt them into it, and make them into it, and bribe them with food and blah 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 blah. But Jesus, how I many? Well, Jesus show up to a place and there's not enough room. They got to rip the roof off, right? What was it about Jesus? <clears throat> the Bible says that law came by Moses, but Jesus was filled with grace and truth. Around Jesus, it created the want to in people's hearts. Are y'all tracking me here? And I don't care how long you've been under the gospel. I don't care how long you've been, you know, kind of learning about these things. <clears throat> don't think legalism can't sneak in and bring condemnation and destroy the want to in your heart. <clears throat> I mean, it's hard to do things all the time that you don't want to do. It is. And I'm not saying that you know, well, you get a hold of this and you're just going to, you know, flow through life like Mary Poppins. And you're going to always want to do the right thing. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that under the new covenant, God will write his laws in your mind and on your heart. God will place a want to in you under the grace of God. And, and if the want to is not there, condemnation is somehow snuck in. <clears throat> we got to find it. We got to, we got to remove it. We got to get it out. Amen. I mean, you can get under condemnation for anything. You get under condemnation for what you've done. How many of the enemy try to bring condemnation in me uh, for, for getting mad in traffic? But I ain't putting up with that crap. I'm not letting him put that on me. How many know you got to condemn the tongues of judgment that rise against you? Ain't nobody, can't nobody do it for you. Your pastor can't do it for you. Your friends can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. You got to condemn the tongues of judgment. And when, when I was upset at that dude in traffic, and I was on my way to minister, I had to make a decision that the cross was more successful than my failure in traffic. And I've got to honor the Son of God by condemning those tones of judgment and taking a stand in my righteousness and being a child of God. Amen. And you have to, you have to almost be aggressive about it. Because if you, if you don't aggressively condemn the tongues of judgment, how I many of those tones of judgment will condemn you? And you know what happens next? Weapons formed against you will prosper. I mean, you know, no weapon for and against you prospers as you condemn the tongues of judgment. What grounds are you condemning the tongues of judgment on? Is it your own obedience? No. Is it your church attendance? No. Is it anything that you've done at all? No. I mean, you're condemning the tongues of judgment based upon the blood of Jesus, the success of the cross. I mean, we need to take a stand and let the enemy know he cannot condemn us. <clears throat> and see, the enemy, and the enemy doesn't come and try to condemn you in some weird Third-party voice. Oh, Jeremiah, you are bad in traffic. It'd be great if he did. It'd be easy to shut that down. It'd be like, that's weird. I don't believe that. No. Whose voice does he come in? My voice. First person in your, in your heart. Ripping you to pieces. 
for the things that you've done, mistakes you've made, or maybe condemning you for something that you haven't done. Can I get an oh me? <laughs> Don't even want to amen, just an oh me. Don't give him place. How many of you know guilt could come in a million different ways? How many of you know for a man could come in the, in the form of being a provider? Could do that for a woman too. How many you know there's how many of you know there's enough mom guilt to float 35 planets? <clears throat> Moms get hit. Moms have a unique sense of condemnation that tries to come against them. Because uh, the enemy, they will well see your how many don't no one's the perfect mama? Can I get an amen? And I, I feel like women deal with that because men, I, I mean, I don't know, but I mean, like, we know we're not perfect. You know what I'm saying? We know we're not, you know? <laughs> Amen. But, and I'm not saying I, I don't know, I, I shouldn't make blank statements like that, but I do think women are hit with this mom guilt stuff. And check this out. How many know God is bigger than your mistakes? And, and the enemy should have no right to, to attack you and condemn you because you're not the perfect mom because there are no perfect moms. I mean, you know, even Jesus' mama tried to talk him out of fulfilling his ministry. And that's Mary. Mary came to him and said, you know, him, and the brother said, you're beside yourself. And, you know, and, and <clears throat> Jesus had to be like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm, I'm on course here. So what I'm saying is don't allow guilt and condemnation to come into your life. Because it's, it's not just an assault on you and your faith and the grace that God's given to you. It's also, listen to me, this is important. It's an assault on the integrity of the cross. Every time the enemy tries to condemn you, he's trying to chip away at the integrity of the cross. And that's, and that's, and that's, when, that's when it becomes personal. Because our Jesus did a good job. Right? Like, I'm, I, I just can't even... Like, our Jesus did a good job, so... If our Jesus did a good job, then let's demonstrate that by us being unwilling to allow the enemy to bring guilt and condemnation into our lives as a result of our failures. Can I get an amen? See, in, until you make it, I don't, and I don't say make it personal in the sense of making it personal with you, but make it personal with Jesus. If the enemy can condemn you, then he can condemn the Christ. If the enemy can can, 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 I just, I refuse to allow the integrity of what Jesus has done to be diminished by our failure. Are y'all tracking me here? This is what real maturity is. This is what, this is what growing up is. This is what becoming mature and skilled in righteousness is. You cannot allow the enemy to bring in guilt and condemnation into your life. Ever. Why? Jesus removed it at the cross. How many know there's therefore now no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus? Man, when I watched The Passion of the Christ, I watched it in a movie theater by myself. And at the end of that movie, I was so overwhelmed with passion and gratitude for what Jesus had done for me <clears throat> that I screamed hallelujah in that theater for as loud and as long as I possibly could. And I freaked out. I'm sure I, those people are probably still talking about that. I mean, because I, I'm a loud person anyway, and I just screamed it, you know? And, uh, you know, tears and snot. And I mean, God, I'm probably like a psycho, man. But, uh, but you know what? But here's the thing, like, like, golly, look what he did for us. You know what I'm saying? Like, do we really have opportunity to entertain condemnation when he paid all of that for us? Why do we entertain condemnation? Because we get focused on ourselves. Look, guys, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have ups. You're going to have downs. Sometimes you're going to be in the spirit. Sometimes you're going to be in the flesh. Sometimes you're going to be on the couch, <laughs> you know, with Pepto-Bismol in your hand because you didn't ate too much for the past six hours, Right? But it does not change God's heart towards you and His love towards you. And it also doesn't change... The enemy, the enemy does not have a right to condemn you. But take it a step further here to bring it over into practical. You do not have a right to condemn yourself. So stop. There's nothing spiritual about it. It's not good. I mean, no, we were taught that was spiritual to condemn ourselves. Isn't that so sad? 
We were literally taught, you know, and there are some, you know, sects of the body of Christ that are taught to, you know, flagellate themselves and crawl up on glass. Like that's so, like it seems, and, and fast and pray, and it seems like hyper-spiritual and all that, but it's like so insulting. It's saying the cross wasn't good enough, so I need to add something to it. No, no, no. If you're going to take upon the cross of Jesus and take up your cross, you take up your cross by taking up His cross. Can I get an amen? You take up your cross by honoring what He did. You deny yourself by not being focused on you. Can I get an amen? Get your focus on Jesus, right? How many know when Jesus went to restore Peter, he had to get Peter's eyes off of him and get him his eyes back onto, onto Jesus, right? Amen. So we, we don't... Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 13, please. And I'm going to close here soon. But we, we just... What I think happens a lot of times is we've got some condemnation operating in our lives and we don't realize it. And we think because we go to a grace church or we've read a few books or you know, we're hearing the gospel on the regular that we're great and we're, we, we can't enter into condemnation. There is no human being on this planet the enemy's not going to try to condemn. It's his primary weapon. He's the accuser of the brethren. This is what he does. This only, is this only attack he has. And then what's sad is we get under condemnation, then we realize we're under condemnation, then we get condemned for feeling condemned because we think we should know better. Okay, cut all that out. He's never going to stop condemning you. It's all he has, right? He's never going to stop. It's never going to stop, not on this side, not until judgment's in your mouth. How I many know we will judge angels with our righteous selves, according to Scripture, right? You're so righteous, you're going to judge angels. Amen. That's how clean the blood has made you, right? That's how powerful the finish. We're in the family. We're sons and daughters of God. We're not some lesser stepchild, cousin. You know what I'm saying? We are, we are firstborn. All of us are, right? We have a right here, amen? And we, we cannot allow the enemy to condemn us. And we, you ever had, you ever got gasoline that had water in it? How many of your car does not run good with a little bit of water in it? There's something off about it. You know, and, and, and today's engines and stuff, they can handle a little bit of water and they're not going to break down. But how many know there's just kind of a, well, you get a little bit of legalism in your heart or in your mind. How many know your life's not going to run as smooth? And if you got some jerking, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're having some in your want to, in your desire, take a, take a step back and, and, find, and find out where the condemnation got in. And remove that. And then everything else will flourish. Can I get an amen? It's the truth. See, a lot of times we think, well, I just need to correct my behavior. Well, I just got to be nicer. I just got to be, I got to read my Bible more. I got to be friendlier. I've got to be, 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 I've got to be. That's a trap. It's a hamster wheel. You're not getting out of that. Because you ain't going to be. And then the next day when you're not, you have more condemnation. And then more condemnation. More, con more water in. More water in. And the next thing you know, you're like, am I even saved? <laughs> Don't try to change condemnation with behavior. Change condemnation with faith. In the, in the finished work of the cross, locate the condemnation. Get it out. Remove it. Can I get an amen? How many of y'all could come from a person? How many of y'all could come from a loved one? How many of loved ones can say mean things? How many of loved ones, and, and you know, and how many of loved ones can say some things that come straight out of the pit of hell? Right? I mean, I'm, and it doesn't mean that they've got a devil or they're any of these things. The enemy will just try to find a voice that's going to sink the knife the deepest in your heart. And he'll try to speak to that individual. Don't, don't blame the individual. It's not even the individual's fault, it's the enemy taking a shot at you. So if you've got an area where some condemnations come in, you've got to pull that knife out, man, and put that thing at the foot of the cross and say, man. And then forgive the person that said it too. Can I get an amen? Proverbs 13, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. When the desire comes, it is a tree of life. How I many know it's easy to do what you want to do? God's got a way 
to minister to your want-tos. It's called grace. Grace comes in. I mean, you know, grace got into Zacchaeus' heart and made him want to do the right thing. Right? I mean, you know, grace got into uh, Mary's heart and made her want to do the right thing. I mean, you know, grace got into Paul's heart and made him want to do the right thing. When the desire comes, it's a tree of life. And this is what I've found in my daily life. And this is something that God's kind of been working on me on. Something that we had, we had a couple we had a couple Saturdays ago where we got together as a family and we all prayed for each other. We all just spoke words of life over each other and stuff like that. And um, and one of the things that I, I prayed something for Ethan and then he prayed it for me. And I really and then I realized I need this just as bad as he needs this. And 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 it was this: enjoy your right now. So many times. You know, I've got to a place in my life where I don't have regrets about my past. Like, I messed all kinds of stuff up, but God's rescued me from that, right? I'm so thankful. But the thing that I can, can, can do is I can get so, like, goal-oriented and thinking about what I need to do and all of these things. I need to do that. I need to do that. That Don't postpone joy. You guys see that bumper sticker all the time. Don't postpone happiness. Don't wait for an event or something in the future in order to be happy. Well, I'll be happy when I get my house clean. Well, I'll be happy when it's springtime again. Well, I'll be happy when, you know, the whatever. How I many you know as long as you're waiting to live, you're never going to live? How I many you know you can enjoy right now, today? And it has a whole lot to do with your attitude and the way you look at things. And I realized that, and, and I, I prayed it for him, he prayed it for me, and I made an adjustment in my thinking and start to enjoy my right now. Because, you know, we have moments in our house when we have a three-year-old that's throwing an absolute fit. You know what I'm saying? We have a, a nine-month-old who's, you know, just pooped everywhere. You know what I'm saying? And then we got a dog that's just in the back, just losing his mind, right? <laughs> and so, and how many of y'all all have moments of stress, right? And But like, but at the end of the day, even though that moment can be challenging, how many of you know, I can dial back and be thankful and enjoy what God has been good to me with. Instead of being focused. How many of you know our news is trying to make us always focus on the negative? Everything's bad, everything's bad, everything's bad, everybody's going to die. New, new this, new that, blah, blah, blah. Why? They're just trying to fearfully make us click on their stuff and sell their products. <clears throat> but, like, I can enjoy the moment. You can enjoy the moment, living in the right now. And what I realized, because I have moments where, like even with my kids and stuff, like in the mornings, Lily's an early riser, right? She gets up early. I'm an early riser. I get up early so that I can spend time with the Lord and not be around anybody else. Praise God, you know what I'm saying? Like, get that time in. But now, Lily gets up. And so, and then my wife, God love her, never gets to sleep. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's her love language right now. Just let me sleep a little bit. You know, can I get a little bit of sleep? And so, when Lily gets up, Stacy will text me and be like, hey, can you come get Lily? Because once Lily's up, she's going to wake everybody up. Purposefully. Like, she's going to try to wake her brother up. She'll be like, ah! She'll be yelling, trying to get Eli to wake. She wants everybody to wake up. She wakes up happy. How many know that I can... Good job, sweetie. Good job. She's looking right at me, too. She's like, I see you up there talking that smack about me. She's like, you don't want none of this. I'll wake up at 5 a.m. tomorrow. Are you ready for that? <clears throat> but how many know that time with my daughter can be time that I'm just doing, obligated to, or I can enjoy that? How many know if I feel if I'm in a state of obligation taking care of her, how many know there's no life or desire in that? But how many know if I'll just change my attitude and change my outlook, <clears throat> her and I can spend quality time together and I can be thankful for that time rather than just thinking that I'm changing a diaper or doing something obligated. Are y'all tracking me here? How many know it has everything to do with your heart and the way you're looking at it? Grace 
will teach you how to enjoy your life and reign in life out of a place of desire and want to. Or, like say for example, I'm not feeling it that morning, and then I'm like, you know, just trying to get her distracted, looking at something or whatever. How many of the enemy come in and try to bring in guilt? Look at you, not spending time with your child, not quality time. You're looking at Facebook. You should be spending time. And then here comes guilt, and then I feel more obligated. So then when I'm spending time with her, I'm, feeling time, I'm spending time out of a place of obligation. How many of you know there's no life in that? How many of you when the desire comes, there's a tree of life? So what I got to do, what we have to do, rather than let obligation drive us, we got to embrace the Lord, let Him take that condemnation out of us, and live out of our hearts. And how many know we can enjoy our right now? There's no reason why we can't. How many know everybody in here, you have so much to be thankful for? I know we got challenges. I know that our country has challenges. I know the world has challenges. But still, we have so much to be thankful for. How many know we're all on our way to heaven too? What great news, amen? But when, when, when that condemnation, and we're just going to stop here for sake of time, but, and we'll probably try to revisit, revisit that next, next uh, Sunday. But like, I, I want to, to help us locate when we step out of grace and back into legalism. Because how many know the Bible says that there's a curse under the law? What's that curse? Well, the curse is there's no faith, there's no desire, there's condemnation, there's obligation, and then you spend your days competing with the people around you to feel better about yourself. How many of y'all, that's not a fun place? Amen. We want to locate where that's at, and we want to live in that place of grace. Amen? And I believe that we can do it. I believe the Lord can teach us how to do it. Amen? So we'll pick, we'll pick that back up next week. So, um, amen. So we're just going to stop. Um, amen. If you need to give an all this morning, lift